1: It's the chart Podcast
0: And welcome to the Billboard chart Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts
2: And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard So, uh
0: there's going to be a delay. We're recording this podcast in the winter, but we're not going to post it till springtime. Whoa! Taping this on Tuesday the 19th. It's posting on the 21st, so winter into spring. Uh, March 21st also. This isn't an official thing, but maybe I mentioned this last year too. March 21st, Three, 2, one I'm calling it National Countdown Day.
2: I remember this coming up last year. It, and and I, I keep trying to make it official. Unfortunately, Congress has yet to pick up that declaration to to make it an official holiday.
0: Celebrate it anyway.
2: Th- there you go. Uh-huh. They, if they won't do it, do it yourself. It's a
0: holiday to me. All
2: right, so let's spring into all the action that's happening this week on the podcast. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to kind of scale things back this week and look at the big picture of the Hot 100 in the past six months, as we've talked about. A lot of pop music, making a maybe somewhat of a surprise return to the Hot 100's apex after so many months of just non-stop hip-hop hits. So we're going to look into what's going on with that, uh, how things have changed, and what are some of the things that are driving that change at the top of the charts. And also, we're going to take a dive into a segment of Billboard that really doesn't quite get as much attention, maybe as much as the the Hot 100 and radio and streaming – we are going to look at the touring charts, with touring being such a huge force. I mean, it always has been, but really, sort of more and more dollars are being made on the touring circuit. A lot of merchandise being sold. A lot of interesting things happened in that world. We're going to bring in, uh, there's actually a guy in the Billboard charts department named Eric Frankenberg, who oversees all the touring charts. So we're going to bring him in, especially as we talk about some new and revamped touring charts that Billboard is going to launch this week. So Eric will be here just a few to give us the rundown on all of that. And speaking of rundowns, let's do exactly that with this week's top 10 of the Hot 100. Here we go. 10 9 8 7
3: 6 5 4 3 2 1
1: Number 10. Yep. Yeah.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yep. Gone on you with the pick
0: and roll younger flame here in mode
1: Number 9 Number eight
2: I just poured something in my cup I've been wanting something I can feel Promise I am never letting up
1: Money in your palm will make you rich Number seven I wanna raise your
3: spirits I want to see you smile No, that means I'll have to leave
1: Number six I'm a sucker for you Number five. Yeah, it's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying
3: wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Girl, your grandma probably know me. Get my bottles, these bottles are
2: lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Number four. Yeah. Please me, baby. Turn around and just tease
1: me, baby. You know
3: what I want and what I Number three, so you can take advantage of me. Tell me how to feel sitting up there, feeling so high, but you far away to
2: hold me. You don't want the one you up there. Dave in the
3: sky does it ever get alone me? thinking you could have
1: found me, thinking you could have found me. Number two. number
3: one got it I it I it I want it I got
2: it okay and bringing us out we have back at number one on the hot 100 Ariana Grande. the song is seven rings this is six weeks at number one just retracing the song's journey a little bit for for those who forgot. What's going on with that? Five weeks at number one, straight out of the gate. Dips to number two as Shallow takes over after the Oscars. Last week we saw another number one debut with Jonas Brothers and the song Sucker. So after that two-week hiatus, Ariana Grande back on top, uh, kind of as the momentum settles back into sort of regular patterns for this time of year.
0: Talking about trends, we said at the beginning, uh, last six months or so, on the Hot 100, so... uh to recap, last year, we had 34 straight weeks A rap being number one in the Hot 100. That's a record. 29 of those weeks were by Drake. Since then, script is almost entirely flipped. So 26 weeks since then, 24 of those 26 weeks, pop songs have been number one. So it started with uh, Girls Like You by Maroon 5 and Cardi B on there. So a little, little bit of uh, hip-hop uh, influence, kind of a, a segue, but uh, since then – Ariana Grande actually has been number one for half those 26 weeks, 13 weeks, seven weeks for Thank You Next, and now six for Seven Rings.
2: Six, seven, yeah. Six, uh, seven. Okay, now for the devil's advocates in the room, what debt do we give uh, Ariana Grande's Seven Rings to hip-hop? Because, you know, it's it's not the poppiest song of all time. Except
0: that it has a Rodgers and Hammerstein hook as part of it.
2: It also got a, it also got a rap break. It, it's got both? What a comp. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. I love it. It's got votes. It's got both.
0: But yeah, uh, pop songs totally uh, back. It, it kind of seemed like hip hop was just on this unstoppable run. And we, we've seen in the past on the Hot 100, we, we get these uh, trends, whether it's a women at number one, a women in the top five for a bunch of weeks in a row. And it seems like maybe this will just continue for, for on and on. And then, and then suddenly, it can just it can just flip. So that's what's happened. And I'm trying to look at why this has necessarily happened is it is it too simplistic to just say that Drake had this absolute historic run, but Scorpion kind of had its run, and after that, something else has to take over. And it was sort of organic how Ariana Grande had her rise with uh, with just uh, pop culture-wise and, and some of the best songs she's ever put out. And now she's had kind of this uh, Drake-like run herself. But at the same time, that doesn't explain uh, Shallow and Sucker. Some of these sort of out-of-left-field pop hits she also be a number one. She had a Drake-like run. Maybe not Drake-like, but ooh, not Drake, record setting. A, Drake, a
2: Drake-like it. run. That's, that might be, you know. Well, in terms of two artists
0: who've basically run the Hot 100 for the last year, it's for the most part been Drake and Ariana.
2: Crazy to think that she's not even halfway to what he did last year. Yeah, true. and I just mean that in terms of not you know not to knock her, but just I guess to you notice. Know, I guess I guess I, it, even just now it sounds like it's like damn twenty nine weeks is like yeah, it's a long time. But when you think about those
0: thirty four weeks, it's not like when we say rap was in charge. It, I like it snuck in. There were a couple number ones here and there, but it was mostly Drake for this pop run. A lot of it's been been Ariana yeah. and Maroon Five. So that's true. Uh, is it really just a matter of Drake had his big run and now he stepped aside at the moment?
2: I I don't think, you know, we should ring the hip hop is dead bell just yet. I mean, even though yes, number one may be hard to get, but plenty of hip hop songs still hanging out in the top 10 of the hot 100 from Post Malone, from J Cole, from, uh, I mean, Blueface got up there a while back. Maybe, maybe Old Town Road is coming up soon.
0: Sicko Uh, mode still, by the way, at number 10, we heard that's uh. 32 weeks in the top 10, Its entire chart run. That's one week from tying the record for most top 10 weeks ever for Shape of You and Girls Like You.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it feels like also to me, I mean, I don't know who's waiting in the wings next, but it kind of feels like this is a great opportunity for somebody to put out, you know, some big superstar to put out a single. It feels like, you know, yeah, the chart's kind of settling down. There's not really a whole lot of action at the top where it feels like, you know, you can just see, you know, the next number one on the horizon. So if you're a Brianna, if you're, I don't know, Adele, if you're Beyonce, whoever, I mean, if it's like the next two, three weeks, assuming they all don't come out at the same time, it feels like, you know, number one's kind of, kind of there to be taken in some ways. We were
0: saying, uh, you said a couple weeks ago that, you know, Lady Gaga deserves to take the whole rest of the year off, but sounds like maybe she's not doing that.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you see on social media with the, the whole, you know, sort of blackout recasting, It just says Gaga, I believe, is so. People are, of course, wondering what that could mean. And she's got so many things going on. I mean, now, I I guess Star is Born has kind of settled down now, but we know she has the Vegas shows that she's been doing and they're on a break for right now, but that's coming back. And it, weirdly enough, even though Star is Born, you can say, is sort of a Gaga album and Gaga project in itself, right? You know, her last studio album was, was Joanne back in 2016. So that's been about two and a half years. So. In terms of album cycles, you know, it, it actually is probably about time for a new studio album. And maybe with the Ariana Grande model, where we've seen, where we saw how she kind of broke open the traditional pop cycle for a lot of singers. Maybe Gaga quickly inspired by that. Lord knows she has momentum to put anything out and, you know, it would be a hit right now. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see, you know, Ariana Grande definitely Q1 MVP. But as we round the corner into spring, I'm interested to see who is going to take over for the next three months.
0: Uh, Also, as part of all this, uh, we talk about pop, there's there's one person uh, other than Ariana Grande who's having an incredible run. He has four songs in the top 10, actually four in the top six. As a writer this week, uh, for the second straight week, four top 10s as a writer. Uh, We mentioned this last week, Louis Bell. But uh, yeah, four songs in the top 10, Sunflower, Without Me, Wow, and Sucker. All in the top 10, all uh, co-written by Louis Bell. So uh, as much as it's been uh, so much Ariana, got to give him credit as well. And really, uh, not just pop, obviously, because it's uh, Post Malone as well. He's really uh, hitting uh, different sounds from pop to R&B. So uh kind of seems like wherever pop is going next, he'll be a big part of uh, driving that direction.
2: Yeah, and one other name on his resume I think we should keep in mind. Uh, worked with Justin Bieber a couple times as well uh, with Post Malone on the song Deja Vu and also co-wrote Let Me Love You, DJ Snake, which had Bieber on the vocals. So you wonder... Whenever JB5 is slated to come out, and yes, JB5, because I'm counting journals in there, <laughs> feel like Louis Bell is going to be part of that universe for sure. So the hits could keep on coming for many, many more months. We mentioned uh, Lady Gaga, Shallow, number nine. You heard it back uh,
0: earlier in the top 10. Uh, fell from number one to number six, now to number nine. But I think the real story now is that the song has just found a whole new life at radio. It's up to number 14 on the radio songs chart. It had uh, fallen off the top 40 based pop songs chart it's back on there making huge gains uh looks like it might be on its way to number one at the adult contemporary back in the top 10 on adult pop so uh, as much as it had been a radio hit it had been out uh it, it never got to the top 30 on the radio songs chart until it went to number one on the hot 100 a couple weeks ago and uh, since then yeah it's it's gone all the way up to number 14 so uh you know sort of a We knew it was going to get the buzz once it uh, won the Oscar and once they performed it, but uh, having a
2: longer tail, feels like than most would think, yeah.
0: So yeah, I think uh, nice, nice, uh, nice surprise. Interscope's really uh, working it, uh, really like it's brand new. So so it makes me really
2: late. I I just saw A Star Is Born for the first time this weekend. We are coming up on about five months since it's been out, yeah.
0: Every single time I find it harder to breathe, cause. Also on the Hot 100, debut at number 75 from Marshmello featuring Churches. Here with me, uh, Churches. Marshmello obviously keeps having hits with Bastille in the top 10 with Happier, but uh, I'm a huge Churches fan, so I'm just excited that uh, it's Churches' first Hot 100 hit. Also debuts on the Pop Songs chart at number 35. So uh, Churches have been out for you know, five or six years now, finally on the Hot 100. This really sounds like this uh, – is really their most commercial mainstream pop single. So I think it's already their biggest hit in some ways. So uh, nice to see that for churches.
2: I think some people kind of hear Billboard were finding it kind of funny that Marshmello and some of the alt-rock leaning acts have been teaming up successfully lately. Uh, Bastille, obviously, you know, you mentioned Happier, how big a hit that was. Somebody said that it's, it seems almost inevitable that a Marshmello Panic at the Disco collaboration is on its way, which... You know, it's like, yes, like there's something in the water that just feels like give it six months and I could see that and that could I could see that as a a huge hit as well.
0: Or, or does he like to work with acts that maybe haven't had that huge pop breakthrough? I think he kind of likes to find that or Bastille had huge hit with Pompeii, but I
2: don't know just give it like this. I mean, even the sound of like what High Hopes was like, you, I could see easily how that could sort of blend into something a little more you know it's it's very beat driven chant heavy like there's, there's like that just that solid pop backing so yeah. feels like that could be a ripe collab sometime for this summer
0: you know who else marshmallow should work with you know the group in the 70s that that hit you sexy thing hot chocolate just so we can say on the chart marshmallow and hot chocolate
2: is hot chocolate are they even still like alive he could say
0: are they even, even if he just samples it? I, I just want to see that listing on the chart. Wow! Marshmallow hot chocolate. Tough,
1: tough, tough.
0: Up, up, up. Other Billboard charts: uh, Danny Wood, of New Kids in the Block. He was one of our guests last week on the podcast. New Kids album, Hangin' Tough. He's back on the Billboard 200, number 18, first time on the chart since 1991, uh, number one, 1989 originally, so deluxe edition with some new songs. Uh, yeah, number 18, top five in sales, so here we are 30 years later, it's one of the top five selling uh, albums in the country, so get to see uh, new kids back, and uh, this song, number one on the adult pop songs chart.
1: And my friends say, I know you love her, but it's over, it doesn't
3: matter, put the phone. It's never easy to walk away, little it'll be okay, it's gonna hurt for a bit of
0: time. Dean Lewis is first number one so on out. the U.S. It's songs okay. chart, so it uh, hits the top 25 and the Hot 100 as well. All right, so uh, we mentioned we're going to talk uh, touring charts this week on the podcast, uh, bringing in Eric Frankenberg, our Billboard Touring Chart Manager, manages the box score charts and some brand new charts that are starting this week.
1: Eric, welcome to the
0: Billboard Charpy Podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so we've got new uh, touring charts. Tell us uh, what these are. It feels like a whole uh, really uh, big forward move for Billboard.
3: Yeah, we have a new series of box score charts. We're doing them every month. So it's going to be... We have seven different charts. We have the top shows, the top tours, the top promoters, and four different uh, segments of venues. And we're ranking them based on the shows that happen within each calendar month. So... What we've done for the last 30 years or so for Billboard Box Score is we've had uh, two charts, one for sh- individual shows and one for tours, and it's been representative of what's been submitted to us over the week. We're still going to continue to do those charts, and it's a really great way to kind of see what we're dealing with in real time. Uh, the people who are looking at those charts are See, they know exactly what we know about what's going on in the touring industry, but these monthly charts uh, are are going to be more comparative, more standardized, and you'll get a really good picture of what's actually going on uh, in the touring industry and and who's on top.
0: So this is the first time we can say uh, in this exact reporting period, in this exact month, this person had
3: the biggest tour. Exactly, yeah, and uh, yeah, they're they're in this week's magazine, they're online today, and they look great.
0: So uh, Elton John, he's the star of the first new chart, right?
3: Elton John was playing consistently throughout February. He grossed over $20 million. He's about six months into the Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour, which has grossed over $125 million so far. And he's probably going to be a staple on these charts for the next two-plus years until this Farewell tour wraps up because it's uh, quite a beast of a tour.
0: It's a lot of other veterans on the chart too, right?
3: Yeah, he uh, he's followed very closely by Kiss at number two. They're also in the middle of their farewell tour. Bob Seger is in his farewell tour. He, he's at number 13. Also, Michael Bublé, James Taylor, Share. So there are a lot of older uh, acts on the chart, a lot of older audiences driving the chart this month in February, uh, which is a bit... Uh, back from the 2018 year-end charts, which was powered by a lot of younger artists—Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Jay Z, Ed Sheeran, Justin Timberlake, etc., etc. So you know the pendulum swing back and forth. But uh, but you know for these high ticket tours, the older audiences with uh, with more disposable income and they've been fans for longer. They're uh, they're still as big of as big a part of the picture as uh, as they've ever been.
0: I was just thinking about uh just our touring charts overall whether you're a veteran act or a newer act in some way these charts are the in some ways the most impressive to be on because uh you can you can have one hit maybe you disappear but you were big for a certain time. If you're if you're making that much money and I suppose you you could be an act that just has a a short uh, touring one
2: album wonder. Yeah.
0: But to get people to come out and spend the money to see you and tour that really represents a real commitment from consumers.
3: Yeah. It's about cultivating a real fan base. And and even if you're not the artist having, you know, a new album, a new hit every year, um, if you have that real relationship with your fans, you can make a real career out of this. uh, Even if you're not, you know, following the trends and charting on the Hot 100 consistently, Uh, You know, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I saw the Elton John show. He's obviously one of the most successful artists of all time. He has, you know, three hours worth of huge hits that were very recognizable. The night before, I saw Robin at Madison Square Garden. She hasn't been a fixture on the Hot 100 in over 20 years. But, you know, she had 12, 13,000 fans. It was a sold-out arena singing along to her song. So it's really about that relationship with your fans, uh, you know, more so than than uh, consistently releasing chart-topping albums.
2: So uh, we talk a lot about some of the the veteran acts and the heritage acts who, like you said, are going to be staples. And anytime they go on tour, even though they say it's the farewell tour, it never really is and they last a long time. Uh, who are some of the newer acts who you think you've seen kind of rise quickly up the touring ranks either in terms of the venues they're playing or the grosses that they're getting like when we think of you know now it's it's taylor and uh beyonce and and crew as sort of the top touring forces who are some of those new acts who in the next five ten years you think are on that level
3: yeah well i was looking at uh kind of the state of hip-hop arena headliners a couple weeks ago um you know if you think about I guess, a decade ago, it was really just Jay-Z, Kanye, Eminem, who really didn't tour much, and Lil Wayne, as far as rap acts that could sell out arenas around the country. Um, And just in the last two years, uh, artists that have had their first arena headline tours, Kendrick Lamar, Future, Chance the Rapper, Post Malone, Childish Gambino, now Travis Scott, who I was really looking into, uh, you know, add to that J. Cole a couple years prior. Drake obviously is now an arena fixture. Nicki Minaj will be out this summer. So, you know, there's, we've talked a lot about in the last couple of years, the way that hip hop has taken over uh, in general. It's so dominant on streaming services, but it seems like now the uh, rap fans are starting to catch up uh, on on the touring circuit as well.
2: And you say um, this is like pretty technical, but you mentioned like they're all arena fixtures, and mm-hmm. I understand arena is like the A class of like touring touring circuits. Stadiums are still like the the top the top possible venue, most seats, most yes. biggest sort of attractions.
3: Yeah, stadiums are are pretty much the highest you can go. It's you would be selling you know fifty or sixty thousand tickets a night, whereas if you're playing an arena, you're selling. Ten to 15,000 tickets a night, depending on the way that the arena is scaled. Um,
2: now we know a lot of Taylors and Medell's and Beyonce's, like pop acts can sell stadiums. Yes. Are there any hip hop acts, you know, not joint build, not tour that are on that level yet? Or who do you think is going to be the first?
3: No one's doing it right now as a solo headliner. Beyonce and Jay-Z played stadiums last summer together. Beyonce can do it by herself. Jay-Z has yet to. Uh, he and Eminem did a handful of stadium shows together uh, in 2010, I believe.
2: Like the Detroit, New York kind of...
3: Exactly, and, and those sold out. Granted, they were in each rapper's hometown, so I don't know if they could do it around the country. Um, Eminem did it with Rihanna as well, similar to the Beyonce Jay-Z situation. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Drake is the first one to do it. He sold out his arena tour in the fall, and... Yes, he was only playing arenas, but he was often doing three or four nights in each city. So when you add those tickets up, he essentially could have probably been selling out stadiums around the country.
2: I think it's really interesting because I think people would expect that the top touring forces always sort of line up with who's like on top in terms of the Hot 100 or streaming in that particular moment. And it really is more of a a long game that a lot of people have to play. Um, And yeah, I mean, to see that hip hop kind of noteworthy that that. The level of a hip-hop show has not quite gotten to that super cultural mark where they can sell out a stadium, you know, night after night. Um, I mean, that's the next frontier, I guess, for whoever wants to be really the king of of hip-hop on the the live circuit.
3: For sure, yeah. I mean, the touring industry in general has always been topped by rock and pop acts. But, you know, now we're seeing this new wave of hip-hop acts. We're also seeing a lot of Latin artists graduate to arena status. We, we're now seeing K-pop artists graduate to arena status. Uh, and in BTS's case, they're actually playing uh, a handful of stadiums this, this spring. Okay, so I think part of that too...
2: Kind of ties into one particular artist who I think had a really a bigger 2018 than anybody could have expected. That's Travis Scott, and when we talk about why probably rock and pop shows can sell out stadiums and do all these massive things, a lot of that is the stage craft, the the visuals, the imagery, the choreography. Uh, seems like Travis with his Astroworld tour got a lot of high praise for what the what the show and the experience was like. Probably more so than any other hip hop concert, you know, or tour that I can remember. Do you have any, you know, intel on that kind of front about how stagecraft and 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 those kind of um the performance value is changing or what what the current landscape of that is like?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh Travis's tour definitely uh had pretty bananas production, Drake's as well. I believe he had a Lamborghini flying over the crowd uh in all of the arenas that he was playing. Kendrick, I know had Uh, like martial artists on stage with him to go with kind of the Kung Fu Kenny theme. Uh, It's definitely stepping up. And I think you need to do that when you have that big of a room, Travis Scott's interesting because I think he kind of married that over the top arena production with the feel of being in a nightclub. He had people on the floor kind of around underneath intermingling with all this circus production Um, and it kind of had the same feel of the Kanye St. Pablo tour where everyone's together, moshing together. You know, you feel like it's very intimate, and yet you have all of this kind of over-the-top stuff happening around you.
0: See, I go to a lot of folk shows where it's one person and a
2: guitar. That's it. No
3: flying Lamborghinis coming coming through on the circuit? Ed Sheeran's the biggest stadium act in the world, and he is on stage by himself with a guitar and a loop, and that's enough for him, so it can... You can do it both ways.
0: Yeah, when I saw uh, Garth Brooks at an arena show, he, uh, I think maybe the, the highlight of the show is when he was just talking to literally one-on-one fans up in the rafters. He would answer. Uh, people had signs of what songs. And he was having one-on-one conversations in you know, an arena that uh, seats 20,000 people. It, it became uh, like a show between one person and the artist.
3: Yeah, well, that goes back to the, you know, the relationship that these mega huge artists have with their fans and how important that is. Uh, And keeping them invested and wanting them – for them to want to buy tickets the next time they come around.
0: And just in terms of uh, economics of the industry, I know it's been said before but uh, you're on the front line of this, Eric, that uh, used to be people would uh, tour to sell albums. And now you kind of put albums out uh, to get people uh, to come to your show because that's where the money is now in touring.
3: Definitely. And especially with hip hop acts who are releasing music so frequently, no one's really off cycle. They're just kind of constantly touring. And especially before you get to the to uh, sell out an arena, that's probably the best way to do it, to just keep the momentum going. Uh, and then, you know, once you're selling out arenas, you can kind of take your time and uh, be a bit more economical. I uh,
0: mentioned BTS. Uh, you saw them in right?
3: And Trevor, you did too, right? In September, I saw them at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and that was, I think, about a week before they did their first stadium show in the U.S. at Citi Field in Queens, which I believe That's, is the show that... Yeah, Jeremy I was, was at, at. Citi Field, yeah. Um, it was a crazy show. The Their fans are really, really dedicated, even for these Korean-language songs. They were singing along every song when it started. It was as if it was the big hit of the night, and everyone was very excited. What I thought was really interesting about BTS, I've, I had never seen... One Direction in Concert or Backstreet or sync. As someone who didn't know too much about BTS going into that show, I could not identify the Harry Styles or the Justin Timberlake. Each of the seven members got their own solo throughout the night, and it seemed like each one was met with the same level of enthusiasm. I don't know if you felt the same way, but... Well, it's
2: funny, because I actually went with a friend of mine who was very big into K-pop and BTS and, and, all, and that whole, whole world... And I think um, so. She was kind of like commentating along along the way. So I, I funny enough, that I think, um, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna try to say the name because I know I'm gonna butcher it. But I think he's like sort of the newest member of the group. He's the youngest guy, I believe. Um, she thought that
3: Jung Jungkook, Jungkook. I think I don't know if I'm. I
2: think it's it yeah. I believe that's him. For some reason, she thought that he was. I think she thought he was the best dancer of the group for sure, and that you know, I guess that's sort of populated around in the circles. And I, I believe he's the youngest and maybe has the highest range. So those things put together made it seem like he, you know, was if there has to be a standout, I know right. there's a big push to you know keep the group together and not really make those kind of distinctions. But I think she was saying that essentially most people would would vote for him to be the star performer. So funny enough, you know, I guess I got that side that side commentary. When you have I, the
3: expertise I, yeah. with you, yeah,
2: yeah, I <laughs> I myself probably wouldn't have been able to, to distinguish that, but it seems like that would be the case. But clearly, not just uh, this isn't totally online. The fandom is
0: is that intense for BTS.
3: They're out there at the shows, and you know, it was their first stadium show in the U.S. when they played in Queens. And then in May, they're gonna do two shows in New Jersey, very close to New York City, as well as two in LA and two in Chicago. So it's all
2: spreading MetLife Stadium and Stadiums, yeah, okay, yeah.
3: yeah. And that'll follow. They're on SNL next month, they have a new album coming out, so it doesn't seem like they're slowing down anytime soon.
2: Craziest thing to me about that whole city field experience was that. I mean, I'm sure somebody must have, but I really, oddly enough, didn't see, like, anybody, like, leave for any reason. Like, I don't have any, like, it's like no one went to the bathroom. No one, went, I mean, there really wasn't any food open or anything like that. But even to just, like, take a break, walk around, it was like everyone was in their seats for the whole two hours, screaming along to every word. And um, if you haven't been, also, well, if you didn't see the show... They also have um, these like glow sticks that are Bluetooth controlled, so the colors like within the glow stick can change like during the course of the song. So you know there'd be some songs like I guess that like have a you know there's like a purple symbolism with them. Some they make like a rainbow through the crowd, so there was kind of a cool interactive feel with that. That the crowd felt like they were you know everybody you know to make a rainbow everyone has to play their part and be you know waving their flags and everything in the same way. So I think part of the intimacy, even though it's a stadium level show. Things like that that really help yeah, the I think, connection.
3: I think Taylor Swift had similar technology at the Reputa- Reputation Stadium Tour last summer. It kind of reminds me of like when you're watching the halftime show at the Super Bowl and they have people kind of – Showing you know, the cards or something. Yeah, like, they yeah. they make one love with whatever glow sticks they have, whatever that is. So, right. Yeah. yeah, could be the new wave of um, interactivity at stadium shows.
0: It's not a brand new phenomenon, but stadium shows have uh, been much more on the rise, right? I remember when I, I saw uh, Bruce Springsteen played uh, Fenway Park for the first time back in 2003. It was such a novelty that a show – well, certainly at Fenway for being as old as it is. But kind of felt like uh, an act playing in a baseball stadium was was sort of new. I guess now it's it's not that surprising at all.
3: Yeah, and, and kind of on the same theme that we've been talking about for a while, it really was just – Bruce and Bon Jovi and the Rolling Stones and you two that could do that, but I think now that younger artists are seeing that it's attainable. If you know, if Taylor does it, Beyonce wants to be able to say she's done it too, and so does Ed Sheeran, and so does Drake, and whoever's going to follow. Um, so I think we could see it, you know, just get bigger and bigger.
0: Other artists who've been writing about Eric has been doing uh, really, really well touring wise. And brings up the whole angle of uh talk about advances in touring. Vegas is not for uh acts at the end of their careers anymore. Not Everybody's uh doing Cardi Vegas. Cardi B about to yeah.
2: I mean Cardi B doing a Vegas residency. That feels like what?
3: Yeah, Drake's right. doing some stuff too, and and there is a separation between, you know, the salines and the shares of the world and some of the Hip hop and electronic artists that are doing residencies. A lot of the DJs who do it, it's more of, you know, they're in a nightclub. People are going for the experience. It's not as much of a seated theater concert as, you know, when you're going to see uh, Elton John or Jennifer Lopez or you name it. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Lady Gaga is there in, you know, in the middle of a real high point in her career is a real marked difference from people going to Vegas after you know, they've seen the best years of their career.
0: And Enigma, it's basically two shows in one, depending which which one you get.
3: Yeah, her residency is a two-parter. Uh, there are the proper Enigma shows where she's running through her biggest hits, and it's kind of the Lady Gaga show that you would expect, very um, over-the-top production, big electronic and pop sound. And then she is doing the jazz and piano shows where it's basically just her at a piano. She does, I believe, some kind of stripped down jazz versions of her own songs, but she's also doing a lot of uh, kind of the classic American songbook, a lot of the stuff that she was doing when she was touring with Tony Bennett. Um, and so she's kind of alternating between those two shows while she's there. She's done 11 shows so far. They've performed unbelievably well. She's essentially outpacing anyone who's ever performed in Vegas at the beginning of their residency. Uh, she's making about a $1.5 million a night. Um, so it's pretty stunning.
2: I can't whistle my mouth. My lips are dry. But
3: woo. Yeah. She, she opened with a couple weeks around the beginning of the new year and she'll be back in May and June. Uh, and then later in the year and, and supposedly it's going to continue throughout 2020 and maybe 2021.
0: And you talk, uh, career numbers, uh, fifth woman ever to hit a half billion. tour.
3: Yeah. Madonna and Celine have both grossed over a billion dollars. Taylor Swift will get there on her next tour. Beyonce's uh, in the neighborhood of 750 million, and Gaga just crossed 500. I should give a shout out to Pink. She's crossed $499 million yeah. in her career, so she'll be there the next show she plays.
0: Did you guys both see Star is Born? I was telling Trevor before, I, I just saw it for the first time this weekend.
3: I, I saw it on opening night in theaters. Uh, I had a comfy chair. I was there at 7 p.m. after work.
0: I waited for it to be nice and cheap.
3: There was a lot of hype around it, I felt like it was necessary.
0: Trevor, when did you see
2: it?
3: I just saw it a few weeks ago after it
2: came out on a weekend. Okay, what did you guys both think?
3: I thought it was good. I'm a very big Gaga fan. I'm going to Vegas to see her show in May. Uh, I prefer her as an as an artist over an actress. I thought the music in the film was phenomenal, and I got chills when she sang "Shallow." But uh, but you know, those were my favorite parts.
2: Um, yeah, I remember liking it. Um, I I've, I mean, it's hard to live up to the hype that it had going into it. I've like loved for months before. You know, it had been screen places and I mean, people knew it was going to be a good film, but I guess, you know, they always make it sound like it's going to be the next Citizen Kane or something. So I thought it was I thought it was very solid. Um, I mean, yeah, I think all, all the right elements that people are talking about, the direction was good. The performances were really good. The music, of course, and the supervision was fantastic. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite film of last year, but I would give it, you know, a top 10 for sure. Yeah, her, her acting I thought was great. I know she's uh, become an
0: accomplished actress, but uh, just uh, even exceeded expectations. Yeah. So she made the character really
3: likable. Yeah, and after the success of the film, I imagine she will have her pick of the litter. She'll be able to pretty much do anything that she wants to going forward. You know I can't let you Slide through my house Just wild track
0: me away All right, so Any big tourists coming up that are going to be on your radar and on the touring charts going forward in the next few months?
3: Yeah, I mean, in addition to uh, BTS playing stadiums, uh, Blackpink, who's on the cover of Billboard a couple weeks ago, another K-pop group, they're going to be playing arenas for the first time in the U.S., so I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. I think... Uh, you know, I think it'll be pretty successful. On the stadium front, I know the Rolling Stones are back this summer. Um A mix of stadiums and arenas, Paul McCartney is going to be on the road this summer, so some of those veterans are going to be back in the mix this summer. Uh Ed Sheeran is continuing the Divide towards going to play through August, and we're kind of Tracking it show by show, it's really in the running to possibly become the highest-grossing tour of all time. So I'm really excited to see where that ends up. It's, I think it might be a nail biter.
0: Whatever we ask you each week, what what you're writing about, I never know if it's going to be uh, someone uh, brand new or, or Rolling
3: Stones. I like to mix it up. I I you know want to give a full spectrum of of who's touring and who's on the road and uh, some of the bigger numbers. Mm-hmm come from the veteran acts and the legacy acts, but it's really good to know, you know, what the future of touring is looking like and the rise of hip hop and K pop and Latin music and some of the younger pop acts. Um, so, you know, check, check in every week and, and see what's going on. All right.
0: Uh, Eric, we'll have you back. Uh, if nothing else, after you see Gaga in Vegas, give Please. us a review of that.
3: Please. This was fun.
2: All right. Uh, so that's this week's uh, Billboard Sharpie podcast. Eric, what song Lady Gaga performs are you most looking forward to hearing live and in person? And the answer cannot be shallow.
3: It wasn't going to be. It still feels kind of like a cliche answer, but I I think her best song is Bad Romance. I'll have my paws up. I'll be singing along.
2: (laughs) Well, we're going to give you a chance right now to sing along to it as we're going to wrap things up with that track. Be sure to join us next week. We're going to talk all things Hot 100. We're going to see if Ariana Grande's Seven Rings can get seven weeks at number one and plenty of other chart happenings. Until then, this is... Celebrating its almost 10-year anniversary, hard to believe, one of Lady Gaga's best tracks she's ever recorded, the one, the only, Bad Romance.